Welcome to Salt Company, guys. My name's Ryan. I, uh, I'm on staff here, and I was gone last week. I was out doing a Salt Company fall retreat out in the state of Kentucky, randomly enough. You know, there's more Salt Companies that exist out there. I stole this really cool shirt from one of them. Uh, but dang it, I missed you guys. It was weird. I know, it was like, I don't know, I felt kind of homesick and stuff. I had a great time, though, and it's sweet to see... Um, yeah, people step out in obedience kind of all around the country and even to the ends of the earth and say, hey, what I had here, I really want somebody else to have. And so I got to just ride the coattails of other people's obedience last weekend, uh, see some lost people come to Christ, and there was a party in heaven and there was a party in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, that's for darn sure. So guys, tonight we're going to start a new series, very, very excited about it, opening the book of the Psalms. So if you start thumbing to Psalm 19, go ahead. Um, but I'm actually going to pray for us real quick. I know, I know, we prayed a lot. Uh, and uh, I, I just want to kind of stop and, yeah, kind of just recognize what it is that we actually do here. Um, we sing and we open the word, okay? And I, for one, guys, I don't know about you guys, I feel my imperfection a lot of times. Like, I kind of like look at the word of God and I kind of like see who he is. And I'm just like, oof. Like, I, I'm not like that God, like he's a lot better than I am. And so to be here and to be able to kind of share his words with one another is a very weighty thing. And I would love just as we just seek joy tonight and just seek the elated life that Jesus has for us, that we would just first stop and just thank him and beg him to be with us. So if you just bow your heads with me one more time, we're going to open up his word together. Lord, I am far, 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 far from perfect. I am a broken, sinful man who uh, sins willfully and sins accidentally. I am somebody who's just sin nature, wants to find their life, Lord, but by your grace, you have saved me. And I know that is the story of a lot of people in here, Lord. And so um, we want to open your word tonight. And we don't want to be spared from anything that you would want to do in Salt Company, Iowa City tonight. We want you to have free reign over this room that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead would save and feed our souls tonight, Lord. Take care of your sheep. We are honoring you tonight. We are opening your word and we are desperate for a change around this place starting in our chair and on this stage. So Lord, be magnified tonight. Let the Psalms, as hard as they are, be preached to your satisfaction. And would we be a people who are genuine, zealous worshipers of the risen Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Let's go, come on. Welcome to Salt Company. It's what I wrote down first. I already said that. But this is what we do every week. We sing and we open our Bibles, right? We open our Bibles because we think that when this is open, God actually gets to work, that there's power between these pages. And we sing songs not to be cute or just because we have some stud musicians because we can think of no better way to tap into what is going on in heaven right this very moment. Because the visions we get of heaven as we read God's word aren't just kind of cold recitals of like all the memory verses or like the facts you learned about God here on earth and you're just reciting him, reciting them to him forever. That's not really what heaven seems to be like, but heaven seems to be like a worship service where we're singing as God's people back to God what is true about him forever. Why? Why singing? 
Why do we care so much about singing? Well, I don't know. I think there's something magical about art. Like I think there's something going on. There's something magical about art, music, and song that has like this supernatural ability to break through the defenses that we kind of put around our own hearts, right? Something that stone cold facts might do really, really well for our head and are very, very necessary. But art is for our souls, our hearts, our emotions. It has power to engage the heart and when done well, also engage the mind and our understanding. I think there's plenty of value in textbooks, right? Everybody loves a good textbook. You can read them and you can learn a lot, whatever. But I think there's a difference with music. There's a different value to art that does something a textbook can't. Let me prove this to you guys with your help, of course. Um, okay, some of you guys have been in church a while, and a lot of you guys have served in kids' ministry around Veritas Church, where you're sitting. Um, what does Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say? Anybody? Does anybody know, don't be, what? Okay, that was so disappointing. This is what, guys, this is what I had in my mind. I expected somebody to stand up on their chair and just go, don't be anxious. You'll know, keep going. About anything, but in by prayer, thanksgiving, present your quest to God and the. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Okay. Um, we're words, textbooks, right? They have immense value. Like they're vital for our minds. We need them. Um, good art has a way, just like that song, good art has a way to speak to even transform our hearts. And I think God actually agrees with that sentiment, guys, that uh, he would actually dedicate and choose 150 chapters or psalms out of this big book uh, and dedicate them to this Hebrew poetry and lyrics that we are going to be studying for the next month called the Psalter or the book of Psalms. And this is why we're studying the Psalms in this series, guys. Uh, we are desperate for God to break down our calluses, our walls, our defenses that we put up against him because uh, they don't only just tell us what's true, but they're doing it in a way, Lord willing, Lord intending, that captures our imagination, speaks in colorful language. What God is going to do to us in the Psalms is very, very simple, guys. He's teaching us how to be genuine worshipers. That's where we're going. We are going to learn how to be genuine worshipers. What do I mean by genuine worshipers? I mean, God isn't calling us, guys, just to sing songs and give him our lip service to show up on Thursday nights and call it good. God is actually calling us to be a people who are actually obedient and love to do what he says. I mean, God isn't calling us to chase euphoria and look for that next spiritual high and just get a hit whenever we can. Go to the retreats, come to Thursday nights, hope the band and the sermon kills it. But God is actually calling us to be people who cry to him even in the darkest valleys, not just the mountaintops of this life. I mean, that God isn't calling us to put on our church face, right? Like, I know it can be intimidating to come in here and everybody's raising their hands and everybody seems happy and you might not. But I'm telling you that God is not actually calling us to put on our church face and just to raise our hands in worship so that we feel like we fit in. God is calling us to be a people who come as we are. And maybe our reaching out to him is in pure desperation. Tonight's psalm, Psalm 19, uh, packs some very, very 
good truth in it. It might be my favorite psalm. I might change that next time I preach a psalm. But for now, this week, this very moment, Psalm 19 is my favorite. And this is the truth that is going to be jam-packed in Psalm 19. It's how God speaks. It's how God speaks. Notice I didn't say how God spoke, but how he speaks, maybe even tonight in the here and now. And I think a lot of us scoff at that, like, God speaking? No, that's a little weird. Okay, I hear you. But think about this. Think about how your life would change tonight if this were actually true. Think about how your life would change tonight if God actually spoke to you. What if he actually spoke to me tonight? All the problems that you've kind of thrown up to the sky in prayer, right? All like the desperate prayers that you've thrown up into the night that seemingly have come crashing back down in a heap. All the directions that you've asked for in life and still are feeling lost in. You're asking, where in the world is my roadmap? Does God not care? Tonight is for that person, for me, and maybe even for you, who's ever said, man, if only God would actually speak to me. If only God would speak to me. Well, friends, get ready. (laughs) Because I think he is speaking to you. The question is, will you listen? This is what we're going to see tonight as we kick off the series in the Psalms, guys. First, we're going to see that God is speaking through his world. Then we're going to see that God is speaking through his word. And so if God is speaking, finally, we must respond. Okay, let's go. God is speaking through his world. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6 say this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth. And their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Okay, what we have here, guys, is a Psalm of David. We have here a story of a young man who spends a lot of time outside. Okay, by profession, King David, before he was king, was a shepherd. Spent a lot of days and a lot of nights in the wilderness. Young David, the great king of Israel, was forged into a worshiper in his days alone, long before he ever took the throne. Trying to get his sheep to the river to drink, he couldn't escape the brutal heat of the sun. Keeping watch at night for predators and wolves, he couldn't escape the wonder of the vast stars in the skies above him. What David is saying here at the beginning of the psalm is that the most grand, expansive, and massive things that he sees are the skies. And these are nothing but the handiwork of the fingertips of the God who created them. What he is saying is that the mighty son is nothing but a joyful servant on the leash of his God. And that son is but one of countless stars in the cosmos created simply by the breath of his creator. These stars, this sun, says that they have a song. 
that they're saying something. Maybe they don't have lyrics. Maybe there's no real words, but they have a message even without words. And their message is right in step with what David is saying. Glory, glory be to God. Glory in the highest, glory. He is so full of worth, value, so full of wisdom, so full of beauty that we must exist to create much of God. And as nobody on earth can escape the sun, so nobody on earth can escape God's creation. Not only can they escape his creation, but they can't escape the word of his creation. Words that tell of a creator that invites all into this reverent, genuine worship of himself. That's beautiful. When God speaks to us through the world, guys, it's hilarious. But when God is speaking to us through the world, one thing is not an option, right? We can't look to the skies and especially the God beyond the skies who is beyond measure, who has no end and think, man, I am awesome. No, nobody can. Pride melts in the face of the sun. Literally tonight, as I was watching the beautiful Tiffin sunset. I was trying to stare at it as long as I could so I could tell you guys how long I made it. it lasted like 10 seconds. Couldn't even stare at the sun. It didn't last that long. Pride melts in the face of the sun. Boasting just shatters at the weight of the cosmos, let alone the glory of the creator of the cosmos. When you are in a place of humility with someone bigger than you, it's common sense, whether it be on the playground, whether it be in your family, whether it be anywhere, when you are in the presence of someone bigger than you, you cannot do one thing, and that is boast, okay? I'm about to show you a picture, okay? And it's an interesting picture, but I want you to look at this picture. I want you to tell me, who do you think is in control in this picture? Like, who would you pick to be in control of this picture? So, it's the first picture, okay? This is a picture of, this is a picture of, I'm actually not the bald one in this, if you can't see. Um, this is me at a wedding. I was the best man of a wedding, and I remember getting dressed and thinking, huh, you look pretty good. Nice, right? Like, you got your nice suit on, uh, you got your best man speech ready to go, and you're really excited. But one thing I didn't really take into account was that the groom has two stupid tall brothers. Um, and this was a picture that's been circulating around for a long time since Olivia was watching the wedding and decided to take a bunch of pictures of me because I look absolutely stupid. This one is not Photoshopped. This is real. And I'm telling you, I feel even insecure and humbled looking at it. If that's true, how much more for this next picture? Tell me who's in control in this picture. You thought I looked small. <laughs> Here, guys, is the truest, most visceral picture of humility I could ever find in my life. Where my, Mikey was also in a wedding, and it didn't go so well for him either. Yes, it's photoshopped this much. We'll give him a little credit, but it's a good one. Please take that down. We'll put it up after Saul, and you guys can just sit here for an hour and laugh. Because <laughs> that's what we do in our free time sometimes. There's nothing more humbling than that. In a similar vein, guys, maybe, maybe that was a bit of a stretch. Forgive me. I just saw an opportunity I had to take. But maybe in a, a better illustration is like nobody goes to the Grand Canyon or stands on the edge of the ocean to feel good about themselves. You get it? Like nobody goes to the Grand Canyon, looks over, like says, echo, echo, echo. And all of a sudden, like, man, I am awesome. <laughs> Friends, God 
is speaking. God has spoken. He is speaking through his creation. And this is what he is saying. This is what he is inviting you into. Worship me. You do not need to worship created things. You do not need to worship anything that will die. You do not need to worship anything that will not last for eternity. Worship me, my eternal power, like Romans 1 says, and my divine nature are on full display and you cannot miss it. You are without excuse. That's terrifying, but it's beautiful. I think so often we get stuck in the big problems of our life, right? The big problems of our life. And it sounds like I'm gonna be sarcastic. No, your problems are real. Your problems are real to God. The big problems of your life are absolutely real. But I know personally, so often, I just fail to look up and remember the simple and powerful truth, the truth that my God is bigger than my problems because my God is beyond measure. We say, if only God would speak to me, all the while we neglect and suppress his voice. His voice that reminds us, yes, he is mighty and yes, he is still in control. And this is where David wants to begin when he talks about how God still speaks. How God still is crying out for our heart, trying to get our attention and make genuine worshipers for himself. God is speaking through his world and dang it, it only gets better from here, man. Because God is also speaking through his word. The second thing we see, God speaking through his word. Verses seven through 11 of Psalm 19. This is good stuff. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord, they're right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Amen. David breaks off, no longer looking to the skies, but looking to the scrolls and the parchments that he studied as a child. He cannot help but sing about how much he loves God's law. Weird. How many times does somebody give you a rule book and you're just like, hallelujah. Like, wow, these are amazing. Why does he do this? Well, the way that he sees it and the way that I think it'd be good for us to see, like David, is that yes, as God reveals himself generally through his world, Generally, to all. But even better, this God reveals himself more specifically through his word. Especially through his word. His revelation of himself that is so much more than cold words or rules on a paper. His word is instruction that is perfect. That means it's lacking absolutely nothing. Literally giving life to your very soul. Fresh wind in your sails. His word is a testimony that is trustworthy, right? Like something you can completely bank on with your entire life. Doing what? Teaching you everything that you need for this life. Do you know how intimidating it is to get older, guys? And to realize you don't know a lick about being an adult? I tell you what, verses like this are so comforting. 
Because there will be a time when you realize that you know nothing. But when you look at this and you know God, you know absolutely everything that you need to know for this life. His words are precepts that are right, like these doctrines, these truths. They are rules that actually lead you not just to being morally better, but to being truly, deeply joyful and happy. His words are commands that are radiant. Almost sounds like a juxtaposition there. Words that don't work well together, but they make your eyes almost tear up and wonder as you gaze and pour over the scriptures. His words induce reverent fear that is not misplaced, that is not unholy, but it is pure, which means he makes us, guys. He makes us, by his word, genuine worshipers. His words are ordinances that are reliable, reliable to make us righteous like God himself. By his word, he changes us, guys. He sanctifies us. It's a fancy way of saying he is making us like himself. In summary of all that, what God has spoken through his word is better than any treasure or pleasure. You see that? It's better than gold, much fine gold. It's sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. It's better than any treasure or pleasure. The skies whisper, right, that God is beyond measure and that humbles us. But this book screams, these words, these pages scream that God is beyond treasure or pleasure and that he can even save a sinner like me. We're not only warned about the ways of life that will lead to our death, right? We're instructed in the ways of life that lead to an abundant reward. Oh, how sweet that day. What we have here is one unique gift. Like if you're holding this, that is a miracle. If it's on your phone, I guess that's even more of a miracle. I don't know. But what you have here is one unbelievable, unique, treasured gift. And the question is, do we value this gift like we ought to? We got to ask, do we have the same disposition towards the scripture and God's law, God's revealed character that David does? Probably not. (laughs) I know I don't. It's pretty easy, though, to tell if someone appreciates a gift, right? It's not actually that complex. You don't have to actually like, think too hard about it. Right? Like, I remember I, was, I bought my mom a sweater for Christmas once, and it was like so nice, like the best gift ever. I remember the brand. I remember the color. I remember everything. I was so proud to give my mom this gift. She is a big fan of mine. She's a great mom. She, uh, I knew she would like it, but guess what? I don't think I've ever seen my mom wear that sweater. <laughs> hey, mom, it's cold. You want to go put something on? Oh, I'm good. Hmm. Do you think my mom appreciated that sweater, that $70 sweater that I bought her? No. And I don't have to think that hard about it. She never wore it. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but when we find something that's life-changing, moving on from the sweater and back into the Word of God, this gift, when we find something life-changing, it's actually proved by our lives changing. (laughs) That sounds really childish and kind of simple, but it's true. Like when you find something that's life-changing and you appreciate it, you can tell if your life has changed or not. Is this true of us? Because what we have in our hands tonight and what we are reading from, guys, is a great gift. It's God's special revelation of himself. And to treat it like anything else is just a great shame. Like a rule book. 
like something that's not personal because guys, this is just gonna lead to ice cold religion. When in reality, this book is supposed to be the kindling for white hot fire to rage in our hearts. Salt Company, if we are ever to be genuine worshipers, if the book of Psalms is ever to get inside of us and start to change us and shape our community, and we are gonna sing not just with lip service, but with lives of obedience and reverence and awe, if we really care what God has to say, it's less likely to come from a word in the sky or maybe even that rare whisper in the night or that writing in the clouds that we all deep down conveniently want because there is a guaranteed, never-changing word on your shelf and it's not going anywhere and it will never fail you. When I ask you these questions, please, please believe that this is completely raking over my soul at the same time. Because I wrote down here, do we read our Bibles like our lives depended on it? Pfft. No. <laughs> Maybe more practically, do we read our Bibles like it's better than any other treasure in the world? that is more valuable than any dollar amount or standard of success that we could live up to or earn? Do we read our Bibles like it's better than any pleasure in the world? That's more satisfying than any other love that we could find. It's better than any experience or fleeting feeling that we can come across. Friends, I know what it's like to wait on the Lord and to feel that cutting silence of waiting. But can we, at least for the sake of our joy, guys, never wait in silence with our Bibles closed? Can we never, please, for the love, just never wait in silence while our Bibles remain closed? Can we, by God's grace and by his power, become a people? Can I become a person who's so enamored with this book that we actually start to become like the God who wrote it to us? When God speaks through his world, we are humbled, right? We open our eyes. They're open for us. We stare in awe at how small we are and how big and measureless our God is. When God speaks through his word, we are set ablaze with love for God. I'm saying if God is speaking in these ways and if this is true, we must respond we must respond. I'm going to finish up the psalm, verse 12, 14. It says, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Read that again. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What do I mean? That this speaking God requires a response from us. Well, as David pours over the scriptures and he sits under the majesties of the skies, something becomes very clear. His God is glorious. Mm. But he is not. David is not. His God is perfect, 
and David is not. In fact, in one sense, the beauty of God's speech has only made the problem at hand all the more clear to David. The problem that David is a sinner. And he's not just smaller than God, but he actually deserves to be crushed by his glory. That he's not just disobedient to God's perfect ways, but he's actually incapable of true obedience. You see, this is the moment that David actually becomes a genuine worshiper in this psalm, at least. This is the moment. He's confronted with the truth about God's glory. He is stunned by his own sin and misery that he put himself in. And he chooses to respond in the one way he should. Not by self-improvement. Not by setting loftier goals, but he makes a plea. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What's fascinating about this plea is that David does not vow vow to try and become a better worshiper, right? He doesn't just want to try harder. David doesn't make a lofty promise of obedience, self-fabricated holiness, maybe better attendance, stuff like that. No. What David does is throw himself completely on the fact that this same God who is majestic, who is wise, who is glorious, is also his redeemer. That his own sin and law-breaking could never be paid out of his own pockets. That he could never repay God enough for the sins that he has committed, but he only could be paid for by God himself, the one who he has transgressed against, the one who still chooses to buy him back. David is a man who heard God's voice very clearly in his life and he cherished it like gold. That is true. What David could assume from the skies and look forward to in the scriptures, guys, we know in full that God has spoken to us and revealed himself to us in no greater words than these, it is finished. As the speaking God actually hung up on a tree to die, he looked at us in our wickedness, our brokenness, our unintentional sins, and our willful sins, And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he died. And he is our redeemer. Not to simply hand us a roadmap that maybe we're asking for in our lives right now, guys. Maybe not just to give us a roadmap with all the answer key. He wouldn't settle for that. He wouldn't have died for that. He paid for your sins, took your penalty on the cross, and rose again three days later so Jesus could give you more than a roadmap. He could give you a relationship. A relationship that we needed. A relationship with this glorious God that we are created to have as genuine worshipers, starting now and forever. How can our words, as broken and unworthy as they are, guys, be acceptable to this glorious God? How can we even make that plea? How can our hearts, as full of impurity and sin as they are, make God smile? Simply by this. He must first speak something over you. He must first speak something over your life that only he can do. 
I love you. I forgive you. I'm proud of you. Welcome home. And then and only then could we ever respond in genuine worship and become a people who are genuine worshipers. Man, if only God would speak to me. How often I feel that tension in my soul. But friends, he has. And the question is, will we believe what he has to say? So we're going to pray. We're going to enter back into worship right now. And I want us to just stop and listen. There's something wonderful about talking about God as this speaking God, somebody who has revealed so much of himself to us in beautiful ways and in heart-piercing ways and life-transforming ways. But if we truly believe that God is a speaking God, then we truly should become good listeners. <laughs> and so I want to read this verse over us as we jump back into worship and as we pray, guys, and just give you a few moments to just meditate on this. And I think we're even going to throw it on the screen. And so I'm going to pray this over us out of desperation, Lord. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would salt company God, would you transform us? Would you bring that burning altar from your throne room and touch our tongue? We are a people of unclean lips, God, and we live amongst a people of unclean lips. God, come and heal us so that the words of our mouths be acceptable to you, Lord. God, would the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you? Would salt come to be a place that is not just religious, not just moral, not just, uh, yeah, bored, but would you replace boredom with us being enamored and love, excited about who you are? Would the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you, Lord? And God, we just proclaim tonight, whether it be in the quiets of our seat, just meditating, whether it be hitting our knees to this cold, hard ground, would it be throwing our hands up in the air in desperation or joy? that you indeed are our rock and you are our redeemer. And God, we have been hopeless without you. If you don't speak, if you don't reveal yourself, we have nothing and you spoke right when we needed it. And so speak to us now, Lord. Let us see, get a glimpse, just get a little taste even in our ears and our voices of what heaven is gonna be like where we'll see our rock, we'll see our redeemer and there will be joy abundant forever. God help us. God speak to us.